Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. This is God's word. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him up to be crucified. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever by his grace and mercy may be preached for you. You may be seated. And as we come to this portion of God's word, let us pray for his help. Almighty God, we come to familiar ground in many ways. We think frequently, weekly about the death of our Lord and what it means for our salvation. But as we come to these direct accounts of what Jesus Christ endured, what he suffered so that we might be forgiven, help us to love our Savior all the more and help us to see the depths to which he truly went that we might be rescued. And so stir up in our hearts great affection for the Lord Jesus, for what he has done, what he took upon himself that should have been ours. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher, they are many. And bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word to bring forth fruit in our hearts to love you more, to serve you better. We ask it all for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Mistaken identity 
is a theme that drives the, the plot line of lots of stories, really in lots of stories, that force us to explore our sense of expectations, entitlement, and endurance. In uh, just as a few examples, in North by Northwest, Cary Grant has to navigate you know, life after being hunt or navigate being hunted after being mistaken for a government agent in the three amigos, three actors, famous for playing these gunslingers, have to decide if they have truly have what it takes to live up to the dashing personas they play on screen as villagers mistake them for real heroes. The Tale of Two Cities asks us to think about the striking likeness between two characters and what it means for willingness to sacrifice for someone else. The Prince and the Pauper. The Prince changes places with the Pauper who looks strikingly like him, learning along the way that the grass may look greener on the other side, but the cost of giving up the comforts we know, even for those we might want, can be pricier than we imagine. In every case, we learn something about what our character would endure if we were mistaken for someone else. I think it's important to say mistaken. is not, we, we, we usually think mistake is an accident, right? But it can be more basic than that. We have mistaken something. We have, we have wrongly understood what something is. We had a bad take on it. And so all of these cases of mistaken identity force us to think about who we are. What would we do if we got to step into someone else's life how, how would we benefit or, or lose out if all of a sudden we were in someone else's shoes? In Mark 15, 1 to 15, we have a case of very much in some ways not accidental, but mistaken identity applied to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. Throughout Mark's gospel, people have failed to see the true nature of Christ's kingship and what he came to do. They have mistaken the kingdom of God for being about their wishes for life and for a particular kind of society. They assumed that the Messiah would come fitting their mold and meeting their expectations. And when Jesus did not do what they desired from the Messiah, they refused to believe that he could be God's chosen servant to bring the divine kingdom. And this passage challenges us to consider how well we identify Christ's kingship as he brings his kingdom to bear. What do we expect from the Messiah? Would we mistake someone offering us what we want for the real Savior? Or do we know how to think more carefully about what God might be doing? How easy is it to recognize what God is doing in the world?
Mark's gospel is about who Jesus is and what his kingdom is like. And it's clear that the people of Jesus' day came to misunderstand God's purposes enough that they could not recognize Jesus as their king. They mistook their own desires for what God must want to do as well. And Mark sets Christ before us that we might learn to see, to see beyond, to see past mistaken identities to the truth of God's kingdom and what Christ came to accomplish. And so the main point today, King Jesus, King Jesus was mistaken for a criminal so that criminals might go free. King Jesus was mistaken for a criminal so that criminals can go free. We have three points today. So mistaken by the people, mistaken before the people, and mistaken on behalf of his people. And so first, let's think about mistaken by the people. In verses 1 to 5, there... Mark, in his typically quick and and compressed fashion, tells us about Pilate's inquisition of Jesus. The Jewish leaders had already held their trial against Christ in the previous events, but even though they could try criminal cases on their own authority, the Romans seriously guarded their position as the only ones with the authority to implement a death sentence. And hence, the Jewish leaders brought Jesus to Pilate for that reason in particular, brought him to Pilate as the local Roman governor. Now Mark didn't write out the details of the handover uh, to let us know, you know, in this case, what charges the Jews brought against Jesus, but he helps us see What's going on nonetheless in the question that Pilate asked Jesus? Are you the king of the Jews? Do you, how do you plead? This is the charge that you're the king of the Jews. How do you plead? Are you that king? And that question then shows us what the issue on the table was for this trial. And we should note, we should note a few things about how Jesus, as the King of the Jews, helps us to see the significance of these events in particular. So first, uh, if we were to collect information from uh, all four Gospels about Pilate's interview, inquisition, interrogation of Jesus, we see that more topics than Mark listed were covered in their encounter. So they raised the topics of whether Jesus was a king, also the nature of truth, Jesus' guilt or innocence, and amnesty. But Mark focused only on the question about kingship. Why, Why would Mark hone in on this one topic of kingship. 
because Mark's gospel is about who Jesus is and what his kingdom is like. Mark is pulling our attention to what this event tells us about Christ's kingdom and the sort of king that Jesus is. What then should we see about Christ's kingship in these events? And and so that raises the second thing from this question for us to consider. This question, are you the king of the Jews? It helps us to see the differing motives from the Jews and the Romans in thinking through this charge, so to speak, in, in the Jewish ears of the time. Right? The phrase, the king of the Jews, was a name for the Messiah. And so, for Jews, it had theological significance, loading in what their king would do. For Romans, though, on the other, so, so the Jews have one perspective on, on this designation. For Romans, king of the Jews landed with political rather than theological meaning. In other words, the Jews had convicted him previously of, of blasphemy, but handed Jesus over to the Romans for them to charge him with treason. So the difference between trying to convict him of a religious and a political crime. They leaned on the theological significance of the charge for their own understanding, but let the Romans run with the political understanding of the charge so that they could get it through. They used somewhat duplicitous double meaning to get Jesus on the Romans' radar for something that the Romans would care about, insurrection. Rebellion. Now what does that teach us? What, what can we learn from these things even so far? I think we have to note, even, even here, before we get to the next section, that we learn so much of Jesus' commitment to save his people by suffering for us. It, it was not an accident at the end of the day, that he ended up on the cross. Jesus' answer to Pilate is, is interesting. You've said so. And we can sense the, the pulled punch of sorts, a, a kind of half-heartedness in the response. His answer lands like a concession because... Jesus knows and is pulling himself on the double meaning that hangs in the background. On the one hand, he's, he's not going to refute the charge because he knows the theological significance and is going to own that he is the Messiah, come to rescue his people. On the other hand, he knew that Pilate understood this charge in political terms. But he's not going to admit that he came to raise insurrection against Rome. Because that isn't the nature of his kingdom. His kingship is about overturning sin. Not the Romans. And still, he admits the charge, as Pilate asked it, without correcting it. 
or providing nuance. Because he knew that being convicted of this charge would take him to the cross for us. Right here, Jesus could have pulled the ripcord on this trial and gotten out of the charges. Clearly, Pilate was at at best reluctant to convict and punish Jesus. And the striking thing about Jesus' answer to Pilate is that he leaned into going to the cross. He accepted the cup, which in Gethsemane he had asked not to drink. By allowing himself to be wrongly convicted about a political kingship, he was ensuring that his spiritual kingship would include the forgiveness of sin as he was executed on behalf of his people. Jesus lets this case of mistaken identity push forward God's plans to bring redemption as Pilate mistakes kingship as a political issue. Jesus' charge was mistaken by the people as they thought his kingdom was supposed to be political rather than spiritual. And that brings us to our second point, mistaken before the people. Jesus' conviction on, on political grounds brings up a striking irony, doesn't it? The religious leaders of Jesus' day had, had wanted the Messiah to overturn the Roman Empire, to, to bring political insurrection and to put them in power over their civic oppressors. That's what they had wanted. And when Jesus didn't act in accord with their political expectations for the Messiah, they put him on trial for what he didn't do. The exact thing he didn't do. They put him on trial with their Roman oppressors for the very thing they hated him for not doing. He wouldn't go up against Rome as a political entity. And so they accused him of being a traitor against Rome. They tried him for the very thing he had refused to embrace. And that irony becomes more obvious when we consider verses 6 to 15 concerning Barabbas. The Jews wanted a nationalist Messiah, but accused Jesus of being a nationalist rebel to get him killed precisely because he wasn't the nationalist whom they had wanted. But Barabbas was truly guilty of murder and insurrection, rebellion. He was apparently, I mean, apparently well known for whatever events contained his rebellious crimes. They asked for him. So the contrast between Jesus and Barabbas um, and the people's response shows us some real heart issues behind this text. 
heart issues. Interestingly, um, at least in the NIV, there's some debate in the translations about uh, how to deal with this, but at least in the NIV and and some of the older ones, in Matthew 27, 16, uh, it refers to a a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. And since Barabbas simply means son of a father, we, we would, in fact, expect another given name. Um, and so R.C. Sproul summarizes that the best evidence suggests that the people are choosing between two Jesuses, Jesus Barabbas and Jesus Christ. And they're assessing which kind of Jesus they want. And we should remember that the name Jesus means he saves. And so the people of Israel are confronted with what sort of Jesus they want and which sort of salvation they prefer. Do they want the Jesus who saves by overturning the Romans? Or do they want the Jesus who saves by dealing with sin? In other words, are they interested in God giving them political freedom or spiritual freedom? And we see here the impulse that we all have, to some degree or other, for thinking that God is supposed to align his purposes with ours, rather than the other way around. The order ought to be that we submit our purposes to God as he directs our lives and delivers his kingdom. In our pride, we often assume that we are innately and infallibly tuned in to what God wants. If I want it, God must want it. After all, how could God have any other plans than mine? The case of mistaken identity intensifies as, as God's people identify his kingdom with the exact wrong sort of king. The populace, who, who was opposed to Roman presence, right, was never going to opt for a solution that Pilate posed if their religious leaders were supporting a different one. In latching so firmly upon their perception of the problem that sat upon them, namely the the oppression of tyranny rather than the oppression of their transgressions, well, they ended up not knowing what their king was supposed to be. In contrast to Psalm 2, where the king comes forth and is enthroned, against nations that rage against him, the other nations, right? In contrast to Psalm 2, it is Christ's own nation who rages against their king. As as the king stands to defeat their ultimate enemy, sin itself, the people stand against him because they wanted a different kind of king. 
and Christ was mistaken before the people for a king who was of no use to them. And that brings us to our final point, that he was mistaken on behalf of his people. From the other side of the, you know, kind of thinking just previously about the people side of, of these events, from the other side, the contrast between Christ and Barabbas with the people's choice then points us to, to a more fundamental reality going on in these events. The whole issue here is who goes free. On the one hand, Jesus Christ is totally innocent and fully righteous. On the other hand, Barabbas is a convicted and truly guilty criminal. What happens as the crowd made their choice? The guilty was pardoned while the innocent was condemned. And lest we miss the obvious, the trade of Jesus and Barabbas illustrates what is happening in the bigger picture as Jesus marches through his trial toward the cross. Don't we know? We cannot miss this. Don't we know that we are all Barabbas? Don't we know that we are the true criminals? The ones who should have been convicted and should have died. In the court of God's throne room, we would be rightly indicted, convicted, and condemned. And so we too easily miss the startling reality of this whole situation. Because Barabbas was a real traitor against the Romans, a murderer of sorts. But we are all traitors against the God of the universe, rebelling against his perfect reign as we stack sin upon sin in defiance of his goodness. I think our our gut likely clenches as we read this account of the people choosing Barabbas as the Jesus whom they wanted. Why can't they see it? Why don't they realize what they're doing? How could they be so foolish to condemn the righteous son of God? They, they let this foul criminal off scot-free when he should have died. We've got to grab hold of the spiritual significance of that very point. Barabbas walked away from a death sentence because Jesus was going to the cross. The only reason we walk out of our penalty for eternity, cut off from the blessed presence of God, is because Jesus went to the cross. 
Barabbas should have been executed that day. But I should be executed every day. So we cannot indulge the form of mistaken identity where as we read this story, we, we identify with Jesus when Barabbas is the figure most like us. We are thankful that in all the forms of mistaken identity swirling around in these events, that Jesus knew exactly who he was. He is the true Jesus Christ, the one who saves in an everlasting way by standing in our place to go to the cross to endure death in our place. And we are thankful that he knows exactly who you are too. And willingly swapped places with Barabbas, knowing the name of every single person who would trust in him. How glad we are that Jesus, not so mistakenly, certainly not by accident, took our identity and yet mistaken on behalf of his people so that God can look upon us as forgiven and received in Christ. King Jesus was mistaken for a criminal so that criminals might go free. And how good is it to be one of those. Let's pray. Father God, we struggle to read of our Savior being treated so, so horrendously. And it's even harder to admit we would have done the same. But how glad we are that even as God the Son came, he knew exactly what he would be enduring and came to do all of that in our place. That as he traded, as he was numbered among the transgressors, as he swapped places with a criminal, pardon was granted to all who belonged to him. And so we ask a simple application this week. Help us to love Jesus all the more. Seeing how greatly he loved us. We ask it all in his name and for his sake. Amen.